In the same way that the, the leaves falling, it's a sign that the, the season is changing. These signs are a sign that Jesus is who he says he is. Welcome to the Conduit Deeper podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series, from current events to fascinating finds, to conversations that take us deeper into the Word. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to our Deeper Podcast. My name is Mo, campus pastor at Conduit Church, joined with our lead pastor, Darren Tyler, for what is our 97th episode of our podcast. The Mr. Uh, producer Micah just let us know. 97? We should, like, <laughs> we have something planned for 100? We... You know, I mean, we don't. So, I mean, if there's if there's any ideas, any great ideas out there, but we are we are approaching our 100th episode of sitting down here every week. So almost it's almost 100 weeks in a row that we've done this because we do it once a week. Hmm. There's been a few that we've missed out on, sure. travel and trips and stuff like that. But we started this, I think, right, like right before or right during pandemic. I'm trying to remember. I have to go back and look. But we launched into the Book of Revelation, and there was just so much to cover out of the Book of Revelation mm-hmm. That, you know, a Sunday only gives us 35 to 40 minutes to teach on that we wanted, you know, we wanted an outlet to discuss, you know, all the amazing things in the book of Revelation. So we launched this podcast. Well, if it was Revelation, then it would have been after. Because if you remember, I came back from Nepal thinking I was supposed to, we're supposed to do Revelation, but teach it through the eyes of the persecuted church, which is where I'd just been. And then... We became the persecuted church. <laughs> like, so, you know, for those I felt kind of like, hey, just we're not bandwagon revelation people here. We weren't doing revelation That's just because right. there was a pandemic. It was literally already planned. And the well, the Nepal trip a... was fall of 19. Yep. And so we, I wonder if we launched this um, either January of 20. But we didn't start revelation in January, though. Okay. So, so we, we were finishing only, a series. The only other time that would have been would, would have been um, fall of 20. Yeah, I, I th- well, I thought we started it over. Well, maybe I'm wrong. I thought we started over the summer and spring because during pandemic, when we were, you know, televangelists for those brief <laughs> right. few weeks. No, you're right. It was summer because it was we were televangelists for a few weeks, and then when we came back, we wanted to do the essential church. Like this is why we're starting again. This is it, and then we went to Revelation from there. So that would have been August of 2020. Yeah, and so August of 2020, then heading into the fall. I mean getting into the book of Revelation while we were experiencing what we were seeing across the globe with a worldwide quote unquote pandemic. Um, we started really talking through some different topics that were um, maybe exposing a little bit more of a global reset that we started hearing about these words, you know, the, the, the great reset and we started learning about the World Economic Forum and everything that comes with that, Mr. Klaus Schwab, and he was releasing some books during this time, too. And in doing that research and talking about it on the podcast, and if you've missed those, they're, they're available. Scroll back and listen. Um, we learned a lot about kind of this, uh, this, this global movement of things moving in place and seeing how the coronavirus um, was a bit of a Trojan horse for some some things being implemented 
um, across the globe in terms of QR codes telling telling uh, allowing entry into countries or even in certain countries like China um, even just to get into work you would have to show that you have you know you're vaxxed or unvaxxed kind of a digital passport all of these things started to emerge and here we are still what 2022 exactly two years later and these things are very much on the forefront yeah it's the thing about the the way that when these signs that Jesus talked about, the, the the language that he uses, especially in Revelation, if you remember, speaks about like an escalation of, of them. Like it, they'll start slowly and then all of a sudden it just goes. And so if, if we're in a season that we think we're in, then these signs should be escalating, not de-escalating, should be becoming more rapid, not slower. And, you know... When you get Russell Brand talking about this stuff, like, you know, it's clearly something so, so obvious, right, that an agnostic hippie LSD guy is like, <laughs> you know, this is pretty obvious to me. If Amazon wants me to use the palm of my hand to purchase something, that the, something's going on in the world. And, you know, people – I grew up in the left behind days. I grew up uh, the late great planet Earth days and – you know, and, and I'm sure right now there are people that are still thinking, well, they've been talking about this for years. And, and, and the Bible speaks of that. Peter said, man, he's, you know, don't mock in these things. Like the, 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 he's not slow as some understand slowness. He's patient that some, you know, that more could come into uh, to, to faith in Christ. And a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. So on the timeline of Jesus, if he's been gone for 2000 years then we've entered a third day now. And lots of things happen on third days. And in the mornings of the third days, especially, and we're in the morning of the third day. And so, hey, are we, you know, we're not going to predict days and hours. Jesus told us very specifically not to. But he also said you would know the season. My yard this morning is full of leaves on the front yard. Even after I mowed with a bagger on Saturday. <laughs> Isn't that the worst? Yeah, it's like, you know, but the season, it's fall. The leaves are changing, you know? Yeah, so I did that. I did that on Monday. I've got a pretty, I mean, I have a decent sized yard, decent sized yard, but I have a lot of really mature trees, and they just drop like just boom. And so I got out there Monday, and I'm hosing these things down, and I'm wrapped up in the front yard, and I'm pulling around back, you know, to wrap up. And I look behind me to kind of admire my work, you know, a freshly shorn front yard with no <laughs> leaves, and. It had all they had all dropped within you know the thirty seconds that it took to go from one side of the yard to the other yard was like oh I might as well just go back and do it again yeah oh it was so discouraging but yeah I mean the seasons the seasons are changing and every leaf in your front yard is one more sign that the season has changed every country changing to a digital currency every war is you know as a digital it's a leaf in the yard the rumors of wars is a leaf in the yard the well, what are the leafs in the yard man one of the questions we asked pastor rob mccoy last week um at the end of that which super grateful that he was able to stop by and spend time with us um, feedback from that has been really really good just what a great guy it was it was fun to spend time with him but one of the questions we asked was you know what should the church be on the lookout for what should we how should we prepare um what do we need to be paying attention to? And he mentioned something that we've been talking about a lot is 
keeping our eyes on the World Economic Forum and what they're putting in place globally. Agenda 2030 is the game plan. If you've not read or seen or heard anything about Agenda 2030, I would recommend just doing a simple search for that and reading about it. And it's really their their global plan um, for a for a one world order, uh, for lack of a better phrase. And one of those key elements that's in that is something that we're seeing quite a bit in the news in the past few weeks, a couple months, and even a couple days is this idea of central bank digital currency, CBDC. That's that's not a band. Um, I thought CBDC is what you smoked. Is that not what you go to Denver to get? Is the CBDC? I don't think so. CBDC oil? Is that not what the kids are doing? CBD. Oh. But CBDCs, I mean, this is is kind of the next move um, in this agenda to... To just, I mean, it's it's under the guise of convenience. It's under the guise of um, safety, privacy. But imagine, um, imagine a world. Imagine our country um, controlled by digital currency, to where um, you you can only purchase something through a, a digital currency. No cash. Um, and it's not anonymous. It's a, it's absolutely tied to your name. The only way CBDCs work is if it's um, if it's not anonymous. If it, it requires a digital ID, so each of us have a digital ID that then allows us to make purchases. It sounds great. It sounds super convenient. I mean, walking up to a vending machine or to a gas station and just you know a thumbprint or a or a pin code of some sort. Um, that allows you to just purchase things super fast and convenient. I mean, it sounds great. Like, Is the idea that this currency would be central in nature? So there's not a U.S. dollar versus a Chinese you know, yen. There's like just a currency that is central that we would all use. Is that the goal? It would be central to each nation starting out. So yes, and the idea is that it would be able to then merge into one global central currency. So nations are rolling them out separately right now. So, for instance, Canada has a massive push towards this at the moment. Um, and I'll talk about that in a second. But also, very interestingly, Turkey. Turkey is to launch their CBDC, their central bank digital currency, 2023. And of all the countries to kind of lead the way in this technology, um, I don't know that I would have saw Turkey out of the gate, but when looking at it through a biblical perspective, maybe shed some light on on future things to come. Yeah, when you think of it as being Turkey, and I don't are, are they the first in Europe? Or are they they're not the first in the world, are they? No, not one of the first in the world. I think there's eleven total countries that have switched to CBDCs, um, but Turkey would be one of the ones to launch full bore. So a lot of them are doing like partials. Got it. So they're going all in. They're going all in, which will require a digital ID. So, again. Because yeah, it's connected to, <laughs> it is connected to a digital identity. A digital identity. So all of us have, you know, a social security number. That's nothing new. But this digital ID would then allow for basically any interaction, whether it's social media 
you would use your digital ID. If it's a passport, you would use your digital ID. Um, it's all tied together to one fascinating one unit of digital recognition also tied to your bank account yeah which if you're uh, looking for a global power looking for global like centralization of power like for instance right now the 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 vax for the the rona you know that's not a, there's not a central database to this and so if you have i speak in uh, completely hypothetical terms here, if a friend of mine hypothetically had a fake vax card and he presents it at a nation, hypothetically speaking, somewhere in East Africa, for instance, they don't have a there's no central database to it. So you just hand it to them and it, it looks it's like the honor system right now. Yeah, and in certain countries, very much so. China. Central China, database. Yeah, I would say China, not so much. Central database. And China, some... which is still not using mRNA technology. Right? <laughs> also so, true. I mean, that's a whole other podcast episode, but also the rest true. of the world's out here lining up for mRNA in China, the, the, the place that released this virus. ProPublica, literally just this week, releases this shocking news, you know, results of like something that we've known the whole time. Um, that it just wasn't a coincidence. It happened to be, you know, in the Wuhan. <laughs> anyway, but the rest of the world, you know, with the mRNAs, uh, there's no, but there's no central power to that right now. And if you're looking for some sort of centralized power, and, and here's why it's not a surprise to me that, it, that Turkey would go just balls out on this. And that is that, well, first of all, starting in the late 90s-ish, uh, a guy named Erdogan becomes their president, prime minister, president again. And his version of make Turkey great again, you know, reviving the Ottoman Empire, it, you know, Turkey, which had become a, a, uh, not necessarily a friend of Israel, but for sure not a, a, you know, a, a stated blood enemy of Israel. Turkey, which had been friendly to the West, uh, suddenly is being run by a guy that is an Isla uh, Islamic extremist and has very much moved in the last years to tighten power, uh, obviously murdering journalists. I mean, like Jason Bourne movie style. Oh, yeah. You know what they did to that guy? I mean, they sawed him up and put him in like Ziploc bags and drove him off in the back of a Jetta or something. Like th These guys, you know, are not screwing around. And for them to need the control, want the control that Erdogan needs, a digital currency with attached to your ID, I mean, that's the kind of thing that, that that's like a wet dream for a totalitarian. Like, I get to control everything. This is everything I've ever dreamed of. They can't even spend money without my permission. The, the amount of power that you have, if we, we saw it when they were just shutting down businesses, we could still spend money. We could still... But imagine a world where you can't do anything without using this currency. I mean, that would be... Yeah, it will be tied to your social credit score. We saw this also play out in Canada with the, um, the trucker protests in Ottawa. Those that were a yep. part of um, a political, quote-unquote, insurrection, um, they immediately locked down their bank accounts. Right. That's exactly right. Yeah. And so to curb political activism, 
how convenient would it be for the government to have access to your digital ID and bank account to, quote unquote, again, punish you? Right. And if it's a digital currency, because like in those situations, so, you know, you get yours locked down, we could buddies get together, get some cash, give you cash. You can still buy things at the store. This eliminates any of that. Yeah. Cash would not be accepted. Yeah. And when you look at the biblical lens, like pop back to the 38,000 foot view, the Ezekiel 38 view. I like that. I just made that up. Someone should write that down. That was pretty <laughs> to good. To reference that again. That was pretty good, man. 38,000 foot view. The Bible speaks of, uh, in a prophetic, and, and you know, everybody from, you know, uh, the left behind guys, you know, the people, theologians have been talking about this for years and decades of Ezekiel 38 of these nations that would come from the north to invade Israel, to come against. And uh, and here's uh, right in the middle of it all is, you know, Gog, you know, it, older theologians used to think that Gog was a, was, uh, was a country. But that's roundly rejected now just based upon language that we don't have time to get into. But Gog is a ruler, you know, somebody who is a ruler in this land that is uh, – it's – and when you look at Meshach, Tubal, the, it, it's, uh, it's Turkey. It's modern-day Turkey. So in the 90s, theologians would be like, hey, you know, Russia's doing their thing, and Persia, they're doing their thing, and everybody seems like they're lining up. But for some reason, Turkey wasn't doing, you know, didn't, wasn't lining up with, the, with prophetic calendar. And Keep your eye on Turkey, you know, Chuck Missler used to say. Here's Turkey, 100% locking down um, their power base. And to the point, even like just this week, you know, so they're doing the digital currency thing and they just did a deal with Libya. I mean, this week, Libya to explore and to get oil off of the coast of Libya, because everybody knows the same thing, which is we need oil still, no, no matter what our Green New Deal people, you know, the, 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 the microphones in which they're broadcasting these messages are actually made with petroleum that is needed from oil. So the, Libya is just cut a deal with Turkey, Libya, which has been greatly wounded uh, since the death of Muammar Gaddafi, who needs a hand up right now, suddenly, you know, getting in bed with uh, with Turkey. And by the way, in chapter 38, you know, uh, verse four or five, it talks about the nation put will be with them, put modern day Libya uh, will be with them. So it's, again, another leaf in the yard, another leaf in the lawn of things that are changing in the world that had never been before, that are now lining up for something bigger and a digital currency that is centralized. Man, if that didn't make the hair on the back of your neck stand up. Yeah, this idea of cashless society. Um, you know, there's certain, there's certain places that are just aren't taking cash anymore. I mean, even just around town. I was at a restaurant or, yeah, I was, I forget where it was. They, they said credit card only at a restaurant, like at a chain restaurant. They were not taking cash. No cash. Um, even to go to a local football game around here anymore, on, in, in Williamson County, they require you to purchase their tickets online. So you walk up to a stadium. You can't hand them eight bucks to get in. Nope. You got to go through their app, purchase the ticket online that's then scanned. It's it's becoming normal, right? Well, I think it is normal because you've got – so, like, my daughter has worked at Sonic forever, you know, uh, 
and how many and people when you go to Sonic tip your car hops <laughs> they know who you are and I want know. to I want to be able to but I don't I don't have any cash right. lying around right so don't go to Sonic because you have to, <laughs> but here's but my point of that is uh, not to judge people who don't tip at Sonic although that is part of it uh, mostly is that they they literally just introduced tipping on your card <coughs> excuse me they just introduced that and my daughter's tips quadrupled yeah because I live in a cashless society. Yeah. The, 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 the reason, right, is because I live in a – I'm so used to it uh, that, like, right now in my, in my wallet are my debit cards, my Sam's cards, my – none cash. The only time I ever find cash now is if I'm headed to another nation where they don't have debit card access. So, so that we've, we've been trained for, for that part of it. What's new now is the idea of now centralizing a currency and centralizing a system in such a way that if, if I'm reading this right, it's no longer about whether the business will take your money or not. It's about whether the government will allow them to take your money or not. So, in the, you know, uh, we saw people who were, you know, cast off of like Visa and MasterCard when, you know, were no longer be their vendors. So we saw independent companies doing that to people who were uh, going afoul of the messaging, you know, being canceled. This allows the government in a central form, if I'm reading this right, it allows the government to centrally cancel you yeah. from one push of a button. Yeah, and allow you to, and and not, not allow you, but restrict what you can or cannot buy. So for instance, I can see a scenario very quickly, very soon, to where if you wanted to go buy a vehicle that was petroleum-based, they could genuinely not allow that like you would only be able to you would only have the ability to purchase a vehicle that was electric it, and look you know that seems so far-fetched but what we saw and are seeing is that if someone in a position of government power or tech power for that matter decides that something you are doing or saying is quote-unquote dangerous doesn't have to be that did they just have to do you say these things. That's that. Hey, that's uh, that's that's uh, violence. So certain forms of speech are violence. That is complete horse crap. But if they say that it is violence, then you're getting canceled. You're getting pulled off. If they say that me buying a petroleum-based vehicle is violence, is harmful. You know, someone gets to make that decision. Yeah. Uh, and it sure as heck doesn't seem to be Congress getting to make those decisions these days. It seems to be bureaucrats and techno, you know, uh, bureaucrats making decisions like that. And it sure does in, uh, seem to be the vision, you know, guys like Klaus Schwab, you know, who, I mean, they couldn't have created or cast a better villain like in a Batman movie. Like it's, he just looks and sounds creepy. But I've been reading his stuff for a long time, and the, the, the third industrial, fourth industrial revolution yeah, from fourth. like 2017, or whatever. Like that was spine chilling, and I remember reading it, going, first of all, the guy that gave it to me like was really excited about it. And I remember thinking, I wonder if he actually read this, and I don't think he did. Quite honestly, I think he saw him. He was at a, a Davos thing, and I, I don't think he actually read it. But I was thinking, I'm reading this, going, oh my gosh, this is terrifying. And then I'm thinking also, you know, but you know, whatever, in the sweet by and by someday, uh, and then you know, coronavirus pops up, and suddenly, uh, in the words of Al Gore, they you know never let a good crisis go to waste. Yeah, but he's got some young guns um, 
doing the work of his ideas. I mean, one of those is obviously Trudeau in Canada. That's where a lot of these things are being implemented, digital ID, digital currencies. Um, and then the new prime minister of Great Britain, uh, Rishi Sunak, just been in office for like two weeks, and he is a World Economic Forum student and uh, is all in on CBDCs and um, very much and was on the board of about half of the um, vaccine companies such as Moderna and BioNTech and so on and so forth. So he's got his minions in place, which is why you're going to see a ramp up of this language, the CBDCs, and you're going to be hearing about it. Jerome Powell addressed it over the past couple of weeks, actually, talking about the importance of CBDCs to be considered here in the U.S., amidst inflation, um, because they can control spending better. Um, so these are things that we're hearing about, you know, and I have a buddy who is, he's, he's a, he's a fellow conduit, fairly wealthy. He's done really well for himself, has multiple businesses. And so the question is, okay, so, so now like, what do we do? Okay. So like, this is all coming. What do we do about it? And, And which is the question I asked him, one of the things he said, what I thought was super interesting and he mentioned, you know, we need to start putting our money into physical assets, like buying land, buying uh, animals, <laughs> extra food. He even mentioned artwork, things that will hold value. Artwork? Yeah, physical art, things that will increase in value over time To as far as, you know, diver- diversifying oh. our funds, uh, coins, you know, actual fungible things, things that are that are tactile and, and, and hold value to get it out of the digital system. Uh, I thought it was a really interesting take from somebody that's really deep into uh, all of this. Yeah, the, the failure that we could have in our future is a failure of imagination. You, you know, we had our great grandparents who lost everything in the Great Depression and they would store their money in coffee cans and over time, we've sort of lost that because, you know, something was introduced called the FDIC that would now insure your money at the bank. And But it's a pretty uh, sobering moment when you realize that, let's say you have, a, you know, even just a semi-sizable sum of money in the bank. I can't just walk in there and take it home with me. No, not at all. Actually, this is happening all across the U.S. right now. If you were to go in and withdraw all of your cash... You would be subject to an investigation. You would immediately be put put on FBI list. Um, you would have to give an account for how, when, and where you're spending your money. This is happening all across America right now. Failure of imagination, man. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. the. And, and there's this delicate dance because the thing that I appreciated about what Rob said last week, he actually helped me close a loop, like in my language, because I feel like we have done this as a church intuitively, but for decades, most eschatology or eschatological kind of conversations sort of have this helpless, uh, it's going to happen anyway, we can't do anything about it. Um, and and, and, and in, in truth, there, there, there's some f- truth in that, you know, because in Ezekiel 38, you know, God says here, I'm going to put a hook in your jaw, Gog, and I'm going to pull you down. So there's a, so there's a, there's a glimpse of the sovereignty of God in that. And there's the language of Jesus that says, occupy 
until I come. Not hide out. You know, occupy speaks of like an occupying force. Not hiding out in the mountains and the monasteries. It was the problem I had with the Benedict option in Rod Dreher's book was that, you know, contrary to what he says his goal was, that's certainly the goal most people walked away reading going, we're supposed to go, you know, hide out in the mountains. Um, we're supposed to occupy. Because and the, and the main thing is, is we don't know, you know, a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years is like a day. God is not slow as some understand slowness. It, it could be years and decades, totally could be true. There were people in the early 70s that thought it was going to be tonight, tomorrow, you know, and then there was the nut jobs that were predicting days and hours, right, that that were clearly wrong. But we can't let that uh, keep us away from the idea that it really could be. I mean, Jesus said it's the wise and foolish, the the wicked and lazy servant is the one who says that my my, uh, master cannot return today. So if you think that it couldn't be today... You know, you are among the wicked and the lazy is what Jesus is suggesting. Uh, there's an old uh, old eschatology joke, which is, do you think that Jesus could come back in the next hour and everybody, you're supposed to raise your hand. Of course, nobody raises their hand. And then the, the, the punchline is, well, then it could be because he said it's in an hour that you think not right. that he's going to return. <laughs> so it's probably this next hour. Um, but we don't know. And what we what we do know is that what we are supposed to be doing, which is it's what we talked about last two weeks in John 4, which was the mission. You, I have this food that you know not of. Jesus' disciples, when he said, I am going to return the way that you saw me ascend, thought, when you read the writing, they seemed to think that it was going to happen in their lifetimes. They had no wheelhouse. Now, why did Jesus not tell them 2,000 years? I don't know. I, my conjecture is, is that Satan is not omnipresent. He's not omnipotent. He doesn't know everything. So why on earth would the general give his war plan away to the enemy, right? So that's certainly not wise, but they thought that, you know, most of the great saints throughout history did. So I'm okay. If I'm in the company of Paul and John and Peter, I feel like I'd much rather be in their company than some of our progressive theologians out there that have, you know, totally just said this is never hits you. Know, this is all, you know, uh, illustrative and not, you know. Uh, so for us, it's about the mission. Like that's what kept the Jesus people going in the early church, and it's what keeps us going. When we reopened in pandemic uh, rules and restrictions, and it was not about our First Amendment rights. It was about the mission of this church and the mission of us as Jesus people, which is to not uh, let this world go to hell in a handbasket without putting our flag in the ground for Jesus and build outposts for the kingdom until he comes. That's what we're called to do. That's what we are doing. That's what we will continue to do until he returns. Yeah, there's work to be done. I mean, that's what I appreciate. I can appreciate just about our little podcast that we have here is that it's hopefully, at least for me, even personally, it's just a reminder and an encouragement to have an awareness of what's happening around the world, you know? Yeah, because, I mean, ignorance is bliss. Yeah, it would be nice. You know, I mentioned this a few months ago when we visited the Amish out in uh, Etheridge, Tennessee. Like, there was a part of me that was just like, man, 
I'm so jealous. They Just a, no idea. They have no clue about CBDCs yeah. and the World Economic Forum. Like they're just they're providing for their families and their communities, gathering once a week for church, growing their own food, and completely off the grid. There's a part of that was like really like romantic, right? right? To think about that. If it wasn't for all the wool, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Have you ever worn- In the middle of summer. Yeah. Have you worn woolen pants before? <laughs> Tennessee summer. Oh, Swampy. Oh, can you imagine? There's not a there's no amount of anti-monkey butt powder that could undo <laughs> the damage that a pair of woolen pants in August in a field would do to my crotch, man. I'd be like, oh, my word. I'd be like swampy. Here's what- uh, There's people in our world that are- Unwillfully ignorant, they don't know. You don't know what you don't know. There are some that are uh, willfully ignorant. Um, yeah, it's too much. I just yeah. don't can't. I can't take it. Can't I take just it, don't. Yeah. You know. And and I have a. I actually have a lot of empathy. I, I don't really have any any judgment towards that. It's not lost on me that the men of Issachar who understood the times and knew what to do was the by far the smallest tribe in mm, Israel. That's good insight. You know, they were by far. And, and maybe that's by maybe that's okay, maybe that's somewhat by God's mercy. I don't know. I, I would say this: that those of us who do know and who are aware, it's okay to be prepared. Like I, ever since Katrina, like I, I, ever since Katrina was the first time I saw uh, in our country Hurricane Katrina, two thousand four, I think is when it was. One disaster could cripple an entire city, one disaster, the entire weight of the federal government could not fix it. It was, we're sending semis down. I mean, we're doing uh, promotional concerts with Operation Blessing. You know, we, we were, I think we we were responsible for 25 or 30 semis full of goods that were shipped into, yeah, it's amazing. into Katrina. And the, the, they needed every one of them because the federal government couldn't do it. And it was at that moment and since that moment on that my family personally, this is not a thus saith the Lord. This is a thus saith the Darren. It's not a bad idea to have two or three months worth of provisions in your house somewhere. Just not a bad idea. Yeah. Not a bad idea to Can't have a generator. You know, the worst that can happen is, you know, you break out your, you know, your MRE stroganoff in a, uh, 10 years and it's still good. And you're like, that's amazing. I don't know what kind of chemicals these are, but that's amazing. It, it's just not a bad idea to have some silver coins hidden away someplace safe. Not a bad idea. I mean, the worst that could happen is someday when they're doing the last will and testament of Darren and someone's going to be like, who wants all these MREs in the garage? Does anybody <laughs> want those? <laughs> One of the things we did this summer was we bought a cow. We, we bought a quarter cow. Did you name the cow? No, I didn't know the name of the cow, but I bought a quarter of him. And uh, just locked in my food price, right? Because they're going up, right? Meat's going up. Beef and my wife uh, came home from Costco yesterday, and we haven't spoken <laughs> since. <laughs> I can only imagine. She's a woman of action. Yeah. But just doing those little things, it, it all adds up. And you're right, just being being prepared, being good stewards of what we have. Um, and we're called to do that. Um, but what I like about what you've been talking about in John chapter 4 is keeping us on mission, reminding us to occupy, reminding us that the food that Jesus gave us was the mission to fuel the work. And there's plenty of that to be done. 
Yeah, I mean, he was saying to his disciples, you know, they come back to the, uh, they've gone into town for Chick-fil-A. Absolutely Chick-fil-A. Come back, they find uh, Jesus. Because, uh, by the way, it would have been, it was Sabbath, right? So they, they were fine. They could easily, uh, they, they were, it would have been open on Saturday. Um, <laughs> but they uh, come back and he's he's like, he's doing a classic Jesus moment, which is they're, they're hey, are you hungry? He's like, I've got food you don't know anything about, you know, and they're like, I don't even know what you're talking did someone bring him food while we were gone? And then he says that my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish it. That's my food. And that food, that sustenance is the mission that he has called us on. What kept you and I energized March, April, May, 2020, 2021, today is the mission of this. It's, what, it's, it's honestly what – I don't you – know, look – there are worse jobs in the world, right, than pastoring. We could be digging coal mines in Egypt or, you know, we could be a proctologist or something. Like, there are worse jobs. But our, you know, we got a pretty hard one. I mean, there's a lot of crap that we deal with. There's a lot of heaviness and weightiness and just, literally just the amount of conflict alone that we have to be a part of trying to resolve. Like, just the moments of, like, if you were the father, you're like, all right, everybody in the living room. Everybody's got to hug and make up. We don't have that authority, so we got to. But what keeps us going, and I've said it a hundred times, I think, if this mission thing went away, I'd quit tomorrow. Like the, the the pastor gig was not is not something that I am sought. It's not a uh, there again. There are worse jobs, but let me tell you what, bro. There are way better jobs that pay a whole lot more than this for a whole lot less nonsense. But this week, thousands and thousands of bags of food are showing up in Haiti to feed people who are literally starving right now. Uh, A family went free last night from slavery in, in Asia. We sent Alex out the door with 50 grand to help get this coffee plantation started to help fund his ministry into the future. The, the mission, man, people are getting saved. People's lives are being transformed at Place of Hope and being transformed in our own church. That's the food. That's the, uh, the, the, the good food, not, not like the Cheetos. This is like the stuff that like, keeps us motivated and driven. And, and if I forget to eat the mission, that's when I start to feel depressed and burned out and whatever because I've, I'm not eating the mission I'm letting the mission eat me, which is where most church burnout comes from, is we're all about uh, the, the mission is no longer something that we are deploying. The mission is deploying us. It consumes it, you. It, it eats you alive. Yeah, you're consumed by it. Yeah, because that's the other side of it was that Jesus, this great mission, the guy that he, he knows, I got three years to pull this off of my public ministry. And it says he, Luke 5, 16, he often withdrew to the quiet places, to the lonely places. So he didn't let the mission eat him. He ate the mission. And I would you know, venture to guess that while he is with uh, the father in those quiet places, he's listening to the Lord of what it is he's supposed to do. We're going to get to the pool of Bethesda this week. He walks into a place where there are at least dozens, if not hundreds of people in need right in front of him. And he only heals one person. He was never led by the need it was only by the leading of the spirit. What was the father telling him to do? 
And that mission that he's given us, it's, is he will give us the mission. He will give us the clarity of it. And that's what fuels us. And it fuels us into what, what we talked about. It was multiplication. The woman at the well, this woman who had been so ashamed that she couldn't even face anybody. She had to go get her water in the middle of the day. Now literally is running back to the same people who shamed her, the same people who marginalized her, some of the same people that were probably her ex-husband. Some, this whole town that she was so ashamed of fueled by the mission, goes back and tells everybody. The, the, the amount of risk that that took and courage that that took, you know, it, it says uh, about halfway through John 4, that, and many people believed because of her yeah. testimony. The, the multiplication of that is part of our the blessing. We get the multiplication of People in Haiti right now that are, uh, as the Bible says, they'll see your good works and glorify not Darren or Mo, but glorify God. They, people are getting food today that have no idea who we are. Right. They just know that some God answered their prayer by getting the attention of some middle-aged, overweight, white dude in middle Tennessee and this ragtag bunch of Jesus people to help them. They're glorifying God. Their mama's down there glorifying God today because they answered their prayers through us. That's the multiplication. People come to Christ in those situations because I'll tell you who's not showing up is Allah. The government's not showing up. The Catholic Church is not showing up. But Jesus is showing up to save them, and he's using people like you and me to do it. So good. It's such a really powerful reminder. John chapter 4, you hope to get through in one week. Yeah, sorry about that. Took a couple talking about the multiplication and the mission. And then this week, um, after spending some time with, with Alex Matala from Uganda, which was a beautiful example of the multiplication and the mission, um, then you, you wrapped up chapter four in the back half of that teaching on Sunday with the miracles, the miracle that took place. Yeah, the, the, the miracle that uh, he encounters uh, I guess he's a royal official is what he's officially called, which is some vagaries to it. But most commentators, theologians, even historians, by that that language specifically, feel like he was somebody from Herod's court. He was part of the official government. And it, by the way, to me, that's such a reminder that the people that we view in the Klaus Schwab's of the world or whatever, they are not our enemy. They are hostages. And God wants to rescue them just like he wants to rescue us. And uh, here comes this guy. He wants – you know what he wants? He wants what anybody would want. He wants his son to be healed. His son is dying at home. And Jesus – I mean, I have to believe this would have been incredibly controversial to have healed somebody's son from Herod's court. Like, yeah. you know, it'd be like Dr. Fauci coming in and asking for prayer for his, his <laughs> dying son and us going, Fauci, you should put him in jail. What are you talking about, this criminal? Uh, it, th th there's a little bit of me, you know, reading between the lines on that. But if he was from Herod's court, that guy... Yeah, you know, it was the, the the lineage of Herod that tried to kill Jesus as a baby, right? So this is uh, this is close to home for Jesus. Well, I mean, he had a pattern of doing this, right? Like he's talking to the woman at the well he shouldn't have been talking to, mm -hmm. and he's healing people's sons that he shouldn't had no business healing. Yeah. 
I mean, just in John 4 alone, you've uh, well, I think it's John 2, 3, and 4. Like, the first few chapters of John, you've got everybody from Nicodemus, you know, these uh, high up, you know, in, in the Jewish ranks, you've got the poorest of the poor, you've got yeah. fishermen, tax collectors. I mean, the, the whole thing, Jesus is like, I've come for everybody to save them all. And the thing that he did there that that I wanted to point out was when you're following Jesus in this way, when you are heading into especially hostile territory for the kingdom of God, Jesus will do some miraculous things along the way. He will heal some people. He'll provide, he'll provide miraculously. He'll cast demons out of people. We're going to get to that, you know. And it was a good Sunday to be on that chapter with, with Alex sitting in the front row because, I mean, he can't believe that anybody's even like debating this. He's like, I, I have no idea why you guys would sit around and wondering why this is real or not. Like, this is called Tuesday where I'm from and where he's from, you know, we plant churches in the middle of nowhere places that have never had any sort of an expression of Jesus or the gospel or a Christian witness. And that, you know, that, that ticks off demons. Like there are real demons and a real war against us. Again, Exodus or Ezekiel 38, like there's a real war beneath the war. And, you know, they're, they're just not excited. Uh, if you're a demonic force that's been holding hostage a group of people for, you know, decades, if not centuries, we come in and say Jesus is Lord and, you know, whatever pagan god you are worshiping is not, it ticks them off. And so, you know, we've I've seen I – mean, I have personally seen a woman's eyes that were blue and she was 100 percent demon-possessed. And when we left, she was completely at peace, completely calm with brown eyes. You don't see Africans with blue eyes. Yeah, I was going to ask you. I mean, this is an African we're talking about. Yeah. This, uh, the, I, with the exception of it, I'm not even sure what the politically correct term for anymore for albino, whatever that skin disease is. And I don't know how that works, but almost every village and every place on the, on the earth I've ever been, there's always at least one person that has that disorder. And, they, and I feel so terrible for them because they are maligned and marginalized. And by the way, which doctor is saying that they're cursed and you know, yada, yada. But this woman uh, was not that. She was a regular African woman who was writhing and hissing. Wow. And uh, yeah, I remember uh, Ashley, my daughter Ashley, she would have been 16. I was like, hey, babe, you might want to scoot back. Uh, she's about to get about to get real. <laughs> and so she had just scooted back and uh, yeah, she started squealing. And But man, when she left, we left her. We saw her. I've seen her since. I've seen her multiple times since then when we've come back. Still has brown eyes, and the demons are still gone. You know, you, you are taking back territory from the kingdom of darkness. And when Jesus, one of the reasons that you see these signs happen like this is they're all they're, they're called that. It's a sign. It's a sign. In the same way that the, the leaves falling, it's a sign that the this season is changing. These signs are a sign that Jesus is who he says he is. A, a sign. You shared your miracle of your big toe being healed, which was a pretty hilarious story. If you, if you, for those maybe that didn't hear it, it's really good. It's really good. But it reminded me, and I, and I, I had forgotten 
and and I was like felt shame around the fact that I had forgotten um, a similar episode in my life about 15 years ago where I blew my knee out playing basketball. And it was just one of those where, you know, you, you're moving one direction and the knee goes the other direction and it just, it blew up like a balloon and it was just like three times as big as it should have been. It was holding water and I couldn't walk. I was on crutches and, you know, I was a young man, didn't, didn't have great healthcare option at the, at the time. So I'm kind of like trying to walk it off. Right. But I went ahead and scheduled an MRI because I knew, like, okay, we're, this isn't going away. And it was just so much pain. And I remember going into church. We went ahead and went to church that Sunday. This happened, like, on a Friday. Went to church that Sunday morning. And um, I'm literally sitting in the back row because that's as far as I could get on my crutches. And I'm just, I'm just crying, weeping through worship. And not because the worship was great, but because I was in so much pain. <laughs> Painkillers weren't touching it. And I remember during worship, you know, our pastor seeing that and, and asking me to be carried down to the front so they could lay hands on me and pray. And I, I remember this like it was yesterday, except for the fact that I'd forgotten. Um, and they laid hands on me and my knee felt like it was on fire. This, wait, this is a Baptist church? No, this wasn't a Baptist church. Oh, okay. This was post-Baptist post Baptist, okay, yeah. Just laid hands on my knee, and it felt like it was, you know, 200 degrees. Like, just, wow, hot heat. And pray, and I'm hobbling back to my chair, and, and I notice it's, like, starting to feel a little bit better. Not, like, instantly, like, all of a sudden, you know, I'm walking, I'm doing jumping jacks out of the room, but... By that evening, I was walking on it and thinking, what is this? I go to my MRI on Monday to go through the whole thing. And, you know, they come out saying, there's, we don't see anything wrong with your knee. Like maybe it was strained, but well, there's nothing in here. Back to normal size. And mm. it was absolutely, I was, my knee was healed in that moment. I believe that. And uh, shame on me for getting that. But your story reminded me of that. And I think that's the importance of us being good stewards of our testimonies, right? It is. And it's, I think, a, I think it's part of why, the, the complexity of why Jesus doesn't promise signs so that you could believe. There's a couple places where he actually kind of, he really chastises uh, some places, you know, had the, had the signs been done in these other places that were done here, you would have, you know, they, they saw the signs and they still didn't believe. So it's a perfectly normal thing. I mean, I, when that came, like when my toe was healed, it was 1983 and it wasn't until 1994 that was the first time I thought about it again. Yeah. And, but then it, that was the sign that actually built my faith up. So there's a little bit of, I think it's a human nature thing. And then it's a God uses those things as signposts in our faith journey because I, I, I think where we get confused, not to get too theological because there's different schools of thought on this and I recognize that, but it's not that God heals us simply because he doesn't want us to be in suffering. It's just not that simple. If it were that simple, everybody would be healed. But it's it's not that simple. Uh, there's a uh, we're going to get there eventually. John chapter nine to a blind man, born blind, I, I, his whole life. I can't remember how old he was. 
And, you know, the disciples were, you know, why, why was he born blind? What was the sin of his parents? And he's saying, Jesus says in chapter nine, no, it was none, none of those. It was so that on this day, the work of God could be done in him and people would glorify God. He didn't say so that I could heal him and now he could see for the rest of his life. Now, that happened and it was a huge benefit of it, but that wasn't. Like Jesus has this eternal perspective on it. So it's the tension is we get to ask, you know, on the one hand, why wouldn't we ask? Because he might say yes. And on the other hand, we can't make it about our, if, if you know, because this guy, uh, the, the royal, he took him according to his word, but... You know, uh, the, the the man at the pool at Bethesda didn't even know who Jesus was. It wasn't according to his faith, right? It was just that was God's sovereign moment to do that in that moment for that one guy. And where we get sideways, where I got sideways, is we start going out seeking signs then. And so, you know, the guy, you know, he can do miracles and he uh, sells out the arena. He comes into town. And there's In 1 Corinthians 12... Uh, the gifts of the spirit are there, the pneumaticas. When when it gets to healing, it's the only one that's plural, where it says gifts of healing. Everything else is the gift of prophecy, the gift of tongues, but this is gifts. And I think it's because it seems to me that like on that day at the Bethesda pool, there was a gift of healing that was handed out that day. On other days, there are multiple gifts of healing. On, on this day, there were no gifts of healing. So that's the bummer if, if, you've, if you are uh, bar, you know, booking the arena so people could come follow the signs is what if uh, the Holy Spirit's not moving in that way that night? What if there are no gifts of healing? What do you do? You know, I mean, I know what some of them do. You know, they blow, blow on them and throw their coats. And, but, uh, but in those moments when the Lord is moving, which we, we know happens specifically in places like Pakistan or Afghanistan that I've said it before it's like God's shock and awe for our ground war Jesus is Lord Allah is not the man that everybody in that village knew was blind is not blind anymore that's a sign to those people did every blind person that walked in that night walk out healed one no no way did not happen that way you know uh, we can when we get to heaven we can find out exactly what God's full motivations were, but I know that it's, I know one thing is that it's because he's, he's very much eternal in, in his mind. He's not, uh, he's not ground level. He's thinking eternally. I mean, that, it's been 2000 years since that blind man of John chapter nine, right? Born blind, whole life blind. And I'm willing to bet a large sum of uh, cryptocurrency, <laughs> digital, my new digital currency, that that guy is not in heaven going, man, that sucked. Yeah. I got totally ripped off, man. I was born blind. That sucked. Uh, not in not in the lens of eternity. Mm-hmm. You know, my big toe was healed. Hilarious and fascinating and 100% real. And in 2008, when my mom had cancer, she wasn't healed. She'd been in heaven 14 years. And uh, if you were to be able to ask her, you know, just based upon the great cloud of witnesses from Hebrews 11, if you were to be able to ask her, I think the answer is, oh, this worked out exactly the way I, I would have wanted it to work out. So that's, you know, that's where the faith comes in. But when you are following Jesus, you're going to see some, some crazy stuff. We, we have seen crazy stuff here at our church, not just healing and miraculous things of physical nature, but just 
miraculous provision. We're sitting in a building that we have no business being in. There's no explanation of how this happened. <laughs> I wasn't, I mean, I don't want to say present company excluded. I certainly wasn't smart enough to have figured out how to get a building in the middle of the most expensive real estate in the entire, you know, middle Tennessee. It's a miracle. You know, uh, a bunch of Baptists that, I mean, I, I, they would have, they hated me. This was, this was nothing like what they would have wanted, but God moved on our behalf because we're following Jesus. We kept the mission as the food. We've seen the multiplication, and then the miraculous comes with it, and that's John four uh, in the life of Jesus, and it's a it's a good roadmap for us to to live and to expect. As we wrap up this episode, you finished up John four this week, heading into this Sunday. We're obviously going to dip our toes into John five <laughs> with the pool of Bethesda. Drop on the furniture over here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You, is this a is this a one Sunday chapter? Oh Lord, no! It's no, a, it's two. It's going to be at least two. There might be a third. It's good, man. I mean, That's Tracy good. Rogers might be able to get me to push this into two, but <laughs> no. I mean, just that, that. I mean, the fact that you're in chapter five and here's Jesus in a pagan pool. I've been there. I've seen it. You can go. If the people going to Israel with me in February, we will see this place. You don't look at this and think, oh, this was an ancient uh, Jewish temple thing. This was a 100% pagan location. These guys were looking for a pagan god to stir the waters. To There's actually not even, uh, to my knowledge, there's not even any proof that anyone was actually healed in, these, in this place. This, this was more like the snake oil salesman of placebo. the— Placebo. Uh-huh. And but yeah, if you read through it, like there's you know there's there's no history that says anybody was healed there. There's no reference here. They they went there to get healed, and the first one in the water. We you know we know the story, but uh, whether it was placebo or just thirty eight years of uh, going to the same pagan ideas and getting the same results, which is he's still laying there thirty eight years later. Yeah, we'll continue through the belief series this Sunday, and. Um... If you if you didn't catch this last week's teaching, the end of chapter four, I would ask that you would do that as we get caught up, as we're making our way through this book of John, and we're going to take as much time as we need to as the Lord leads us through it and reveals new things each and every time. We look forward to being back here again next week. Thanks for joining us.